When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 129 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And before we get to this week's guest, Sam Carter from Architects, I wanted to remind you about all of the new gear you can find in the online store at mistresscarrie.com. You can outfit your bar with the 7-in-1 bartender tool and a new set of coasters, plus pint glasses, shot glasses, and beer koozies. And finally, the fitted caps, visors, and trucker hats are in. And make sure you check out the store at mistresscarry.com coming up on Black Friday for the huge Black Friday sale. So if you want to listen to ACDC and have a mistress for Christmas, you can check out the online store at mistresscarry.com. Back in October, I was in Vegas celebrating my birthday, and I also went to a bunch of music events and concerts. One of the events was a listening party for the new Architects album, The Classic Symptoms of a Broken Spirit. And while I was there, I got to sit down just for a couple minutes and talk to Architects lead singer Sam Carter, who had just landed from the UK and gave me some very sage birthday celebrating advice. I tried to take it but was unsuccessful, by the way. I asked Sam if he would come on the podcast. He said yes, and he made good on the promise. Sam and I talked about Vegas and COVID. We talked about being a politically outspoken band, his new hobby of running, mental health, his pets that he rescued from Romania, the upside of social media, how every band ends up like Spinal Tap, our shared love of the Beatles, and so much more. Matter of fact, we had such a good time talking that, well, I kept him late. Sorry, Sam. So allow me to introduce you to Sam Carter from Architects. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely, pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Food Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to. You have the privilege of listening to Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Sam, how are you? I'm good. I'm very well, thank you. Very well. How are you? I'm good. It's nice to see you again. I saw you in Vegas at the album listening party. 
Yeah, that was a good time. You gave time. me advice that I should, because uh, my birthday was that weekend, that I should just start drinking at that moment and not stop drinking till I got off the plane. And did you listen? Almost. <laughs> it's hard to consume alcohol while you're sleeping, but if yeah. there was a way, I would have done it. So there, yeah, I mean, if there was a way, it's Vegas. I'm sure they could probably put it into your AC or something. Yeah, I'm sure they'll vaporize it and just have you <laughs> wear an oxygen mask with alcohol vapors in it or exactly. something. Yeah. Sounds like, sounds like a good time in Vegas. Anything it, goes. Don't. It was. So thank you for being part of my crazy birthday weekend. And it was nice to get a chance to hear the whole album with you there. Was that weird for you? It was, yeah, it's interesting. I think at the start I was like, oh my God, this is so nerve wracking, you know. And then actually it was really nice, I think, to just meet everyone that has been um, supporting the band and be able to just say thank you, you know. It's so it's so interesting for, for us and especially for me to like actually see it because, you know, American radio is just this whole other beast of... of you know, amazing radio stations in every single state. You know, in the UK, it's like you have a few, probably like you have a few radio stations, but they're not as big as the ones that are in America that are like giant in their own state and everyone's pushing all these, you know, amazing bands. It was, yeah, just nice to actually see people and be able to say thank you for for like supporting our band and being able to put like a face to a name and, and actually be able to be like, we genuinely appreciate you taking, you know, shots on our band it, it it really does mean a lot to us so yeah it was nice to be able to be able to convey that thanks to people properly you know which can get lost over an email or a tweet or whatever like be able to look into the whites in someone's eyes and and be like it really means a lot <laughs> you know and talk about kind of one extreme to the other right you go from everything that happened with covid and kind of being forced to just hunker down and kind of deal with all of that and then mm-hmm. oh now you're thrust into vegas yeah, and back you're, out you're on, on a, tour in, again. Yeah, you're out into you're out into America for three days, and then you come back, and then you're back to work, and everything's yeah, back to recording and back to yeah, getting ready for sessions at home, and then going out on tour next week. And yeah, it's been, it's been really nice actually. I think so much of of our world and uh, of like tour and bands worlds and lives just changed overnight. I mean, everyone's lives changed, of course, but. There was just a, we were the last ones back, really. You know, musicians. It was sort of like our job is playing to crowds, and that was a thing that was a no-no for a while. So, yeah, just a lot of walking the dogs, and um, you know, being grateful for my health, and then um, yeah, now it's time to to rock and roll again. And especially, I think for rock fans, those live shows I think are more of our lifestyle than maybe other genres of music where if you're a rock and metal fan, the live shows are, they're they're just part of your lifestyle. And so having those taken away from the fans was really hard for us too, because that's where all the freaks get together. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of like a therapy for a lot of people. I think it's a room of people that feel, feel quite similar and and you can go together and express, you know, how you're feeling and, and also have a band that, and bands that understand how you're feeling as well and, and just engage in that, that, I guess that positive energy in a room, you know, everyone's sort of releasing, you know, the demons and stuff that they have by jumping around and, you know, you always feel better after a run. So I'm sure you feel better after a mosh, you know. And, you know, with the way the world is politically now, it seems to be one of those <laughs> things where you can go into a rock show still. Sometimes no, depending on the artist or whatever, but for the most part, you kind of leave all of that stuff outside. 
because what we all yeah. want is to experience the music together. Well, I think also if you look at everything and you get too bogged down in in politics, you know, we're we're a very outspoken band and, and we talk about things that 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 we care about and and uh, and you know we always have done. But I think it, it's. It's kind of hard because everything's hard. You know, there's no right or wrong answer either way. It's just, it's just like, I think it's sometimes it's quite nice just to get everyone in a room together and go, huh, it's pretty, pretty rubbish, huh? <laughs> you know, and just be like, <laughs> you want to just enjoy some music and have some rock and roll and have a good time. I think, I think that's where, that's where we're at. And I think that's, you know, what what's important is people kind of, you know, there's, there's people have different political, political views, I think, that, and, you know, sometimes you might not agree with some with something that someone says that doesn't necessarily make them an awful person. You know, I think, and sometimes it's good to be able to engage in that conversation. But I think really kind of where the world's at, you can't really just have a normal chat anymore. Everything seems kind of too aggy. So let's just enjoy some rock and roll and, and have a good time while we can. I talked to Zach Blair from Rise Against about this because they're always, they've always been an outspoken band as well. Is it getting yeah. harder for bands that have strong opinions is it scarier is it harder or does it galvanize you and make you um you know more driven to speak out about the things that matter to you i think you're always going to have angry people that want to have a go at you i think they've always been there and there's always people that that just disagree with you and want to take sort of personal shots at you because of that i just think it's mainly important to just not rise to it just not and just understand that you know treat people with with the sort of respect that you'd want to be treated with you know we take a lot of shots for a lot of the stuff that we do and and things that we talk about and even the sound of our band sometimes annoys people you know so i think it's just key to just try and be kind you know try and put some kindness back in there you know two wrongs doesn't make any rights and if someone's already that angry they're not gonna they're not gonna enjoy you coming back at them and being angry so you just gotta be like peace it's all good <laughs> You talked about having time to walk the dogs. Um, mm. When you were kind of forced to, quote unquote, be on vacation because of COVID, just unable to tour and do what you do best, uh, mm. what did you find joy in besides, obviously, walking the dogs? Did you discover a new hobby, learn a new language or anything? What were you doing? I, other than sort of finishing off the record and, and writing uh, the record, yeah, mainly I, I got really into running. I enjoyed running, and and I say I enjoyed running. I didn't. No one really enjoys it. Um, it's just the sort of feeling afterwards where you go like, oh, I feel like I've done something. Um, <laughs> other than that, you know, just trying to spend a bit of time in nature and sort of getting outside. We're very lucky. I live right by the sea, so I can sort of walk down there, and you know, the the English weather sort of gives you something different every day. You know, it normally rains at one point. But you know, it's you know, you go down there. It's like a different day every time you get down there. So it's yeah, just enjoying it time here at home. In New England too. Yeah, yeah, that's probably why it's called it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know yeah, what you so mean no, about. Oh, go ahead. No, no, yeah. So just enjoying, trying to take the positives from it, you know, and trying to just enjoy the time and just hold on to the thought that it will all come back, you know, and and the the sort of normality will resume. You just there's no point in wishing or rushing it because. I didn't have control, you know. I ran the Boston Marathon a few years ago, which growing oh, yeah. growing up in Boston, it's kind of that that Everest, right? That you just yeah. want to do it once, kind of check it off your bucket list thing. And in training for that, especially in the wintertime here in New England, 
Um, when you talk about not enjoying running at all, it's still like I will never, ever run the marathon ever again. Most yeah. miserable experience ever. So glad I did it. Yeah. Can't believe you I can finished say you've done it. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I used to make the joke that unless a zombie was chasing me with a hatchet, you wouldn't catch me running for fun. What is it about running? It's like signing up for personal torture. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. It's like um, I, I, I the thing with the band, and I think that I always like when I'm on tour. I think is and and I sleep well on tour is because I feel like I've accomplished something with my day. I feel like there's been that like hit of adrenaline. So I think when I'm on when we were home for that amount of time, I was like, I can't just sit around anymore. Like I have to do something. And I used to go to the gym, but I, it didn't really tire me out as much as 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 running. And I always avoided cardio like the plague like you say and was not interested and um, we can't then, even say yeah. that anymore we can't even say avoid it like the plague anymore oh yeah yeah avoid <laughs> it like covid um the uh, but the i didn't yeah i didn't really I, I didn't think i could i could do it that was also a thing i never thought that i could do a kilometer let alone five or ten or whatever um but um yeah ali that's in the band he he'd been doing it for a while and was like you should try this and gave me a load of tips and before i knew it i was just running and enjoying records you know it was a time to put my airpods on and just run along the beach and and just get to know albums and spend more time listening to music and podcasts and yeah just getting the blood pump around your body and just yeah it's, it's been so good for my mental health that's the main reason why I, oh, I always try and stay on top of it it's like if i stop doing it for a while i'm like oh okay i'm starting to feel a bit you know you know tetchy i need to get out for a run and it, it always seems to seems to have the answer do you go running when you're out on the road through whatever city you're in? We have done, yeah. I mean, we haven't, I haven't since <laughs> since we've been on tour, since I've started probably doing it. But it's definitely something that I'm going to do and try and keep up. Again, you have so many hours in the day. It's good to do something to, to feel good about yourself and, and stay healthy and know that you can, you know, give the best best possible show. I never would have asked this question. And then it came up in conversation with Geezer Butler from Black Sabbath. So I blame mm. him for asking you this question, but we That's started fine. talking about his animals and mm. he dropped the little nugget of information that he names all of his animals after gangster rappers. <laughs> <laughs> and ever since then, I have to ask everybody what their dogs and cats names are because geezer butler changed the world for me knowing that all of his animals are named after people like missy elliott what it like it changed so everything good. yeah exactly it's so good yeah i have uh, i have sophia who's um she's a little rescue dog from uh, romania and she looks like a little fox but she was called sophia when i got her i got her, I got her name tattooed on me i love her um and my other dog is called lucky and i found lucky when i was on tour in romania she was outside our tour bus and she was looking really ill and uh yeah we managed to manage to get her back home and and now she lives in england with me and and uh <laughs> she was she was really ill she was really close to uh she was like a week away from dying and uh that's why she's called lucky because she you know she came and found the tour bus and then she um yeah, it was a whole ordeal, but she, she she's in England. And she's been here for yeah for three years now. So yeah, I've got the two two little rescue dogs. I'm sure that was a really easy thing to get a dog from Romania into England. It was insane. Um, the, the, Sophia was really Sophia was really easy because obviously they had all the, the charities and stuff set up so that they can come through. So it's really it's quite common in the UK because they have so many stray dogs over in, in Romania. Um, but actually, with Lucky, 
I had to try and find someone that would come and take her because our bus was leaving the car park where she was at 5 a.m. Uh, to, for us to come home. And I wasn't able to take her on, on the bus. Um, I tried to get her a hotel room. And the hotel wouldn't let me get her a hotel room. I tried to pay double for her to get a hotel room, and they said no. I spoke to the promoters. They said no. Everyone associated with the show said no, they couldn't help and because they just don't care about dogs, really. Not everybody, but everyone I spoke to didn't care about dogs. Um, and then I just I had no option but to just tweet. I was like, if anyone is in Romania and came to our show tonight, if you could come and pick up this dog and look after it until 10 a.m. when this charity that I've got my other dog through can come and pick her up, I'll be eternally in your debt. And uh, yeah, a girl called Maria came and turned up and she came and, and took Lucky and, and looked after her overnight. And then, yeah, then the charity came and picked her up and gave her the medication she needed and, and helped her sort of, you know, get some food and put some weight on. And then um, then they, they brought her over to me. It was like the day before my birthday. So it was, yeah, amazing. Really amazing. But yeah, it was just nice. I just couldn't, I couldn't leave her. She was just so, such a lovely dog, but she just wasn't eating and, and was so kind to every single member of our crew and band. So I just sat in the car park with her for four or five hours until, until we got everything sorted. And now she, um, you know, now she pushes me off the sofa. So it's all good. <laughs> It is kind of amazing with all of the negative things that come from social media that good things can come of it too. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. That's the thing as well. Like, and, and you know, so many times with this band, we've, we've raised so much money for, for, you know, important charities like Wonder Dog Rescue, Romanian Rescue Appeal, so many charities where you can kind of show, you know, a thing that you're passionate about and, and ask for help and show that these come, these organizations need help and, these charities need help and our fans are always super supportive and, and always really, really, you know, dig in their pockets and give what they can. And yeah, they've, you know, more than they know, they've probably saved a lot of these organizations. I, I've been to Romania once. I, I saw Judas Priest there in Bucharest before nice. the pandemic. And I had always heard that metal fans in that part of the world and hard rock fans in that part of the world were insane. And I got mm. to experience it. I was like, Oh my God. Yeah, they love it. They really love it. And uh, it's the same. Europe is just, it's just metal heaven. You know, it's like there's so many amazing festivals that go on throughout the summer and, and people just really, really care about music out there. And it's just, you know, so great to be in a band and to be able to go and do all these festivals and just see how much it means to everyone. It's just, yeah, a, a blessing. But yeah, they are, they are up for it over there. I always was envious of all those big kind of metal and, and rock festivals in Europe. And it seems like mm. slowly um, the United States is kind of creating those big benchmark festivals as well. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like that's happening now. You know, you see a lot of bands sort of uh, putting their touring around it. You know, we were supposed to be there this year and we were, we were looking forward to playing a couple of those shows, but yeah, it looks like it's really coming on. You know, we were lucky to play a couple uh, a few years back before the pandemic as well. And yeah, it feels like, that's that's always been an opportunity i'm just not sure why it wasn't there but now it feels like it is you know even things like you know like the the mayhem tour and warp tour you know when we when we did that I was amazed at how many people will come to these shows every day in, in across america and i think yeah there's um, there's some there's some big rock and big metal fans in america that will happily fill out you know a soccer stadium out there and yeah i got to see um we did a show and, and i went to go and see um Papa Roach, like they were headlining one of the festivals and it was in like the Columbus Crew Stadium, I think it was. 
I just remember just looking out as they were playing their set and just being like, there is so many fucking people here just losing their minds. And I loved it. So yeah, it's going to be cool to be able to come back and do them and, and uh, at some point be able to, you know, climb up that, climb up that uh, list of bands as well. I mean, it's not going to last because obviously, as you know, rock is dead, obviously. so oh, Of course. Of course. Yeah. I always forget that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why are we even bothering because it's dead? Gene Simmons says it's dead. So it's obviously dead. I feel like he just says it every time they have a tour or something. <laughs> yeah, like he, he must know at this point that it's going to get clipped up. No, and this everyone's is the last go crazy. tour. This is the last tour. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I think. I always hear I always hear about it over here as well, and I think there was like a I think there was five weeks in the UK where it was like bring me us, you me at six, and at Shikari and Mogwai, and I think I think that was they were all in a row where we all had number one albums, and it was like well we're all rock bands, you know we're all like metal and rock and hard rock bands, and I think I tweeted out at the time I was like oh rock's dead is it? Well, you've got to tell the UK because you know they're very much up for it. Um, yeah, I think there's there's so much great music out there now and i think i think it's just getting rock and metal and punk and everything is just seemingly getting more and more popular and especially in america it seems like it's just blowing up at the moment and every sort of new band that's coming through is super exciting so yeah it's, it's really good times i talk to a lot of bands and it's always really funny to talk about the ping pong ball of rock and how it's gone across the atlantic from the u.s mm. to the uk and back again with you know, the, all of the bands that got inspired by all of the original blues and then all of the American artists that got inspired by all of the British artists. So can we talk about you growing up and what you were listening to growing up? Just the Beatles. The Beatles, Zeppelin, the Stones, you know, which is, as you say, like all influenced by everything that was coming over from America. You know, the Beatles and, and bands like that were, were getting these records in Liverpool because there was a port in Liverpool Um where were the big boats are coming from New York and they would, you know, bring seven inches over from there and then they would hear about these bands and then they would start covering them. And um, yeah, so my life and my childhood was, was listening to the Beatles and the Stones and, and just, yeah, I, I'm very blessed to come from a family of people that, that, you know, love the Beatles. You know, me and my dad still geek out over it. You know, my house is pretty much a museum to them, you know? So yeah, it's, it's amazing. I think, Really, when you see, like you say, like the ping pong of, of things that sort of happened and started over here and then, you know, going over to, to America and like where folk started really kicking off, you know, with Bob Dylan and, and seeing everything evolve from there into like Sabbath. And then, you know, it's just amazing, you know, sort of the trajectory of, of, of rock and roll and the history of it. And it's something that massively fascinates me, obviously, because, you know, I've grown up listening to it and, you know, hearing the stories of how it all started and why they started recording and what they were recording and how they were recording. That's also the other thing that I love, you know, we've had the the joy of being able to go to Abbey road a few times and we've recorded a, a, a full album there with an orchestra. And we did that in uh, we did that in studio one, which is where the Beatles recorded all their strings and where they did the, all you need is love video and, day in the life video and you know i'm a beatles nerd so for me you know seeing that history is there but what's so staggering about it is is these bands were just going in and writing songs and having to remember them not demo them <laughs> you know go in and be like if it's good enough we'll remember it and then track it perfectly and sound perfect and still be able to be played now up against you know bands that have all the tricks of the trade and, pro tools you know, the- auto tune all of that yeah 
yeah, and you know John and Paul and and the the rest of the boys going in there and just you know writing songs that literally live in everyone's heads rent free forever. <laughs> You know? I, I talked to Tyler Connolly from Theory of a Dead Man, and he recorded at that studio as well and went into mm. the room where he was allowed to listen to some of the original Beatles masters. And he mm. listened. He told me the story about listening to A Day in the Life. And he said that the, the guy at the studio told him, listen really carefully at the end of the song, turn it way, way up. And at the very end, you hear someone's chair turn and squeak and someone go, shh. And they left it in. Yeah. It's so good. It's, what's amazing is when you listen to that now, obviously, then life finishes with that massive piano hit. Whereas, like, if you were to do that now, you would just have one piano and then just coat it in reverb and, and delays, right? But they, I think they had 10 or 12 pianos in that room, and they all had to hit it at exactly the same time and have their foot on the sustain pedal and just sit there. And, and yeah, I love that. I love the sort of the element of just someone, you know, standing up or their chair creaking and being like, man, we just got that perfect. <laughs> You know, like, and then they're like 12 times today. Screw it. We're not doing it again. Leave the squeak in there. Yeah. I think after a while, you're like, mate, we've spent so much money on tape. We can't, we can't <laughs> keep going through this. And of course, you know, the, the spinal tap thing, you know, it's like, there's no, yeah. you can't bring up the word sustain and have spinal tap, like not, not yeah. get brought up at all. That's a big part of our history. Of course. That's the, that's the biggest part. Let's leave the Beatles and the Stones and Zeppelin. You know they—they're the real gods. Yeah, just just as long as we can keep Spinal Tap. I think, but that's the thing; it's still so relevant. You know, there's so many things that you say on tour or on stage, or if you see, you know, a bit of production that you're trying to do that just hasn't worked out, and you just imagine it's just like the little tiny Stonehenge coming in, or just like you know, walking or trying to find the stage door, like "Hello, Cleveland, hello, Cleveland, hello." You know, it's. It's all the same. It's all the same. I just saw Aerosmith recently celebrate their 50th anniversary in Boston at Fenway Park. And they put a piano up on the Green Monster so that Steven Tyler can do Dream On. And they had issues with it. And every single person I was with made the Stonehenge joke from Spinal Tap. Every single one. And do you know what? Do you know what? It's such a relief to hear. I always find, you know, whenever you hear like a, a, a technical issue or something at a show, yeah, normally you would be like, oh, that's really shit. I feel so sorry for them. But every band goes through it. So when you hear it, you're like, it's not just it's not just us. It's not just us. There's some other band, there's some other poor sods running around, you know, trying their hardest to make it work. And you just, yeah, you, you're like... Getting stuck you know, in a cocoon. Yeah, we just... <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> or just exploding. Yeah, and just yeah. left a little green globule on the stool. <laughs> What's it. the worst thing that happened so to you? Have you fallen off the Me? stage? That seems to be the thing. Yeah, I've been rugby tackled off stage before. That was in Prague. Um, we were opening up for Under Oath. This was probably like probably 11 or 12 years ago. Um, and yeah, I ran out on stage and we were ringing out, waiting to you know kick in. And someone just ran from behind me to try and crowd surf and just took me off my riser. <laughs> I just, just fell straight off the stage and just smashed my head on the floor. And then the next thing I know, I was just back on stage. And I was like, what the fuck just happened to me? <laughs> um, and, and then someone was like, someone just ran into you. I was like, all right, cool. Cool, let's, let's go. On with the show. I think my, fr- my friend came over and gave me like a, I think it was like a, a whiskey and Coke. And he was like, this should sort you out. And then I just had it and was like, cool, let's go. Yeah, Start so again. I'll, it's always I'll back stand to the up booze there again and wait you. for someone else. Yeah. 
it's always it's my way out it's my it's my it's my security so when when you were growing up like i i had kind of the same thing that my mom gifted me with a love of the beatles but obviously I appreciated the music, but don't have the ability. So you're growing up listening to the Beatles with your dad. When did it go mm-hmm. from just liking music to actually figuring out that you could do it? I think I was around 12 or 13 um, and I started playing drums um, and I just loved it. I loved it so much. You know, I, went, I had lessons um you know once a week after school and then you know gradually it was like i can't wait all week to go and do that you know then you'd start playing drums on the end of your bed and then it was like practice pads and then yeah it's it's something there's it's something about learning an instrument though like when you actually find the one that you love it's not it's not hard work it's not like you have to rehearse you have to do this it was like you just wanted to do it you know i i remember when i first got my first ever drum kit i worked like a year or two years to save up the money to to afford this kit you know i was just doing a paper round and uh yeah then when i got it i i when it was in my room i could barely sleep because i was just looking at it like i cannot believe this is in my room i i'm like in love with this with this thing and it yeah just overtakes your life and then you start you start almost in a weird way it sounds crazy but you start understanding that like somebody when you're listening to music you're like oh that's somebody doing this and you're like okay so it's it's this this many kick drums and this snare here here and here and you're like oh my god like how do you write stuff like that and then you go from there you know you start figuring out like simple things like your drum kit doesn't sound the same as somebody else's drum kit and you know symbols don't sound the same and you start getting new symbols and saving up for other things and yeah just falling in love with you know production and, and writing and recording and yeah, as you say, like hearing those bands and being like, how do you write a drum part like that? Like, then you listen that to John start? Bonham and go, I'm never playing the drums again. Why do I even bother? We're just like, he's the coolest fucking guy in the world. Like, how, why do I even bother? Um, you know, and I think, you know, I think people like Travis Barker, like influenced an entire generation for, for, for kids like myself to, to want to play drums and, and, and he's still doing it now, which is incredible. Um, like, still doesn't miss a beat. We played a, a festival with them few years ago and watched them live and i was just like it's just staggering how good he is um he looks like yeah, somebody that... that should play the drums like it yeah he, the way he plays it takes his whole body but it looks like it's it, it's like you can see his soul it he's meant yeah. to play the drums it's really he's, weird. But yeah he's he's totally born to play the drums totally and i think yeah, as I say, like, there's a reason it inspired so many kids in, in our generation to do it. You know, so many drummers in, in the rock and metal scene and punk scene will probably owe a lot of their careers to, to that man. And and much like before, you know, I think like, you know, with Ringo and, and with Bonham, I think, you know, drummers like that are the reason why he started doing it, you know, and, and they're all always be these stars from these generations of people that are, are influenced by, by your past, I think. Yeah, you're foolish not to look back there and sort of understand the the history of it and why it's important to sort of honor those bands and not just be like, oh, they're shit, just because I don't get it. You know, it's it's just a waste of time to think like that. It, there's there's a long history of lead singers that used to be drummers too. Mm. There's a lot because we, we, yeah, we just we just hate being at the back. We have to be at the front. <laughs> you start you start doing one too many fills and everyone's like, no, that's enough. That's enough now. Yeah, with with me, I was really it was really interesting. I was in like three or four bands at the time, and I was working a job, and I would go to work, and then I would go and rehearse in the town where I worked. So I'd have to like got like a 
it's like a 40 minute train ride to where I worked because I lived in a little village. So I would take my cymbals and my snare drum every day, go to work, go to rehearsals, go home, do the same like four t- days a week. And, you know, I was just so desperate for, for any band that I was in to, to, to be able to go on tour or to be able to, you know, make that my life. Um, and then I started another band because I wasn't tired enough. I was too, I was young. I still had energy um, with a few other friends from, from other bands where, and they needed a singer. And I, I, I'd done a few backing vocals for other bands that, well, I played drums in because nobody else wanted to do it. And I was like, I'll do it. I'll do it. I want to be at the front. Um, and we, yeah, we, we started a band and we sounded kind of like that band hopes for, it was like, yeah, like sort of melodic, dreamy sort of post hardcore pitched kind of vocals. Um, and we we got on a, a Bring Me The Horizon show. I think it was like one of their first headline tours or something. One of the first. It was a long time ago. Um, and my the architects had toured with Bring Me The Horizon. So my band opened for Bring Me at this really small show in Brighton and the architects were there. Um, and their singer had quit the day before. The day before or was it the day after? I think it was the day after, but they had just seen me performing with them and, and uh yeah, the day after the show, Ali that plays bass in the band came into where I worked because we worked on the same street and was like, uh, we would love it if you would come and try out for, for our band. And I was like, well, I can't play drums that fast. Um, so I can't because you have double kick and I couldn't play double kick. And he was like, no, you idiot. Matt's the singer. We want you to come and try out vocally. I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Fine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I knew I knew that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and, fr- and from there, I was... Uh, it was a no-brainer for me. I hadn't met them all properly. Well, I had met them very loosely, but it was the fact that they had been on tour in Europe and the fact that they had toured with some bands that I loved. I was like, absolutely, like, count me in, let's go. Do you remember the first song you ever wrote? Were you doing it even before you were in bands? Yeah, I remember writing a song with my friend when I was like, uh, when we first started writing music together because he learned bass at the same time that I learned drums. And uh, yeah, we wrote a song called Just Good Friends. And the, the lyrics were just good friends, just good friends. We met when we were three. We met when we were three. And that was it. That was it. Just over and over and over again. You guys need a Grammy for that. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's sort of early Beatles influence, you know? Yeah. Um, I have to ask you this question because I ask all songwriters on the show this question. This is a songwriting craft question. Any mm. genre, any artist, doesn't matter. But give me an example of a song that you think is perfectly written. A song that you covet oh. that you think that is an example of perfect songwriting, but then you got to break down and, and break it down and tell me why. I think Yesterday by The Beatles is just genius. I think actually like the story behind it and Paul saying that it came to him in a dream and that he heard the chords in his dream and then took it to the studio and was convinced it was somebody else and was like, who is this song? And was like playing it out loud. He didn't have the melody. He didn't have the word yesterday. So the lyric was scrambled eggs. So he was singing it saying scrambled eggs and the the rest of the band and George Martin and everyone else that was recording. It was like, no, we've never heard this song before. This is absolutely fine. And then the fact that he just carried on playing it and was so convinced it was somebody else's, but then quickly realized that it was him and he had just written it in his sleep basically, all the chords had come to him in a dream. And then now it's probably one of the most covered and successful songs of all time. And it was just, he just happened to have a piano by his bed when he woke up to remember it. I just think 
music really at its root is just very pure and like you know it doesn't need to be overthought and there shouldn't be rules and and what you should and shouldn't do i think if if you think something's brilliant and you haven't stolen it from someone <laughs> then you should you should push it and i think you know that that really really shows because it's just a genius song i think and again it's so good because it's one of those songs that again just moves through generation to generation it doesn't sound dated it sounds like it could be on like a a record now you know why don't i have dreams like that <laughs> so i wish i had them as well seriously I have a bit more money yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, we got to talk before you go about this record, because unlike any other album that Architects has released, this is the fruit of the plague, as we were joking about earlier, a time when the band yeah. had a lot of downtime to mm. be able to focus on it, where normally in a band, you're kind of juggling touring, we got to get the record out and we got to do this and we got to do that. And so the engine gets shut off and they okay, you're home now. Did you mm. enjoy having more time to work on a record or did you find yourself overthinking the writing process because you had too much time? I think it's a, a little bit of both. I think we'd already finished writing for those that wish to exist just before the lockdown started. So that was really just recording it and finessing it. And then we just had so much time on our on our hands that it was like, well, let's just carry on doing what we're good at doing, and and that was writing. At that time, we would just felt like we were in a really strong strong form, and we just carried on, and it was just really fun, you know, it, it, because we never really set aside time to be like, this is when it needs to be done, this is what's going to happen. Nobody knew we were doing it, so we were just, you know, when we were allowed to be together, it was like, okay, let's book this time in the studio and go and you know work together and just have fun and, and i think that's what people hear in the record i think you know so much of music is to, to be taken so seriously and if you're a heavy band you've got to be this or that and it has to have this and that and i think really this record is just five people in the studio just having a really good time for the first time in a long time actually just being a bit free and a bit just fun because it's our band we've been in it for 17 years and We've had a lot of ups and downs, and I think sometimes you've got to make these big jumps sonically to to do things that you enjoy. And uh, I think I love this record. I'm very proud of it. I think it's it's, but mainly I'm just proud of it because I, I listen back to it and I just remember all the fun moments and the silly bits from it. You know, not that I think the record's silly or anything like that. It's it's you know it's really heavy and the and the, the subject matter is really heavy. But I think actually just being five mates in a studio in in, in the middle of the countryside in Devon. It's, it's just a great record that, that is just always going to be in my mind of, of you know for the rest of my life that I, I loved that time. I was going to say, the symptoms of a broken spirit doesn't exactly reflect the fun you had in the studio. No. It's a pretty serious no. album title. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty there. It's pretty on the nose. But I think it's just classically English. You know, you have to be a little bit sarcastic with it and go, oh, things are shit. What are you <laughs> supposed to do? I can't change it. You know, you just got to get on with it and, and try and, you know, make each other laugh and big up people around you and, and, you know, spread that love. I looked at your tour dates before I talked to you today and there are some gaps. Is there a North American, a, a U.S. tour that's going to get announced soon, maybe? Any I would, I, I would hope you want to so. give me? We were so unfortunate with, with America. I mean, the first one we had to pull was literally right in the middle of everything. And then the second one we pulled because we just 
there's just no way to make it work. We were so desperately, frantically running around trying to get these visas sorted out that everyone else in the world was trying to get to America. And it's like, at the end of the day, people need to understand that it, it, it's a it's it's a business that we front, and we could have lost an insane amount of money um, if we hadn't have got those visas and booked everything and, and and had gone out there, and we probably would have had to have gone and got jobs, you know. Whereas this way, we we lost a lot of money, a lot of money having to pull out of it, but we knew that it was it was the right decision to make, and and the stress was was really quite worrying. Um, so it's not something we we did lightly, but I just think we'll be back. I trust our American fan base to still be there, and and everyone's been so lovely and supportive of an understanding. You know, there's so many bands that have it's happened to. You know, our friends in Malevolence, North Lane, it happened to as well. It's just the doors are opening to a normal sort of touring world, but it's it's there's still parts that are you know that are a bit tricky. But yeah, we'll be back soon, and I think we're we're just. We're just buzzing to be back out there. You know, our whole team is in America. Everyone out there is, is so supportive. And I want to come over and just sort of be able to pop into every radio place that's supporting us and say thank you properly, you know. And that was one of the things that I mentioned to people when I was in Vegas. I was just like, I want to make this more of a proper relationship and, you know, be able to like be like, cool, we're coming through town. Do you want to come for a show? Let's go for a drink and be able to just, you know, show people the actual appreciation of the support that they give us. And especially just over the last couple of years, too, the way that the podcast world has expanded because of the pandemic, mm. having people hunkered down. I mean, now getting to work out of my own studio, it's like, it's nice and yeah. clean in here. It's nice. It's so great. It's yeah. so great, isn't it? I love it. Um, I have to jump off because I've got another, I've oh, got another yeah. phone call. Shit, I got to let and you I'm, go. And I'm, it's all right. I'm, I just didn't want to stop it because it was a really great interview. Oh, and who you. knows, maybe the, maybe the one afterward isn't. So I was trying to enjoy it for the 10 <laughs> extra minutes. Well, it was really nice to meet you in Vegas. Thank you so much. Congratulations yes, on the record. And when you Thank guys you so much. do make it back to the States, I will see you then. Absolutely. I really look forward to it. And thanks for again for your support. It's really kind of you. There he is, Sam Carter from Architects. The band's latest album, The Classic Symptoms of a Broken Spirit, is available everywhere. And, well, you're just going to have to keep an eye on the events calendar at mistresscarry.com to find out when Architects finally release tour dates in North America sometime in 2023. If you're looking for Sam and Architects online, you can find all the links to their websites and social media in the show notes of this episode. You'll also find all the Mistress Carrie links as well. And you'll find the link to this episode's corresponding playlist. I make a playlist for every full-length episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast. It's filled with my guest music and also all of the artists and music that we referenced in the interview. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday, and every weekday, you get the sit rep. It's all your rock headlines, music news, and industry info in five minutes. Plus, you never know when we're going to release a bonus episode of the podcast. Don't forget to tackle all of your holiday shopping online at mistresscarry.com and join me every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern, live on my Facebook page for my video show, Cocktails in the War Room. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 